sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Welcome to Ignition. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to set your faith ablaze so that you might live the adventure that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Before we get into today's topic, we want you to know that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode, if you've got ideas about future episodes, please contact us. The easiest way to do that is by email, and the address is ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, ignition at sfcatholic.org with any questions about today's episode or any ideas for future episodes. Uh, I'm delighted to be joined on the phone today by Deacon Omar Gutierrez of the Archdiocese of Omaha, Nebraska. Hi, Deacon Omar. Hello. Good to have you here today. Um, we are going to be talking today about Deacon Omar's story. Um, and I was asking him, what, what would you, like, what, what's a good hook, if you will? Why why should our listeners care about your story? And and I forgot all about this because Deacon Omar and I have known each other for a little while. Um, but he, he had a good one. Uh, Deacon Omar's dad um, was a communist atheist and his mom uh, was a faithful Catholic. And here we are today. So if you want to find out how that all resulted in Omar, Deacon Omar, yeah. stay tuned to this episode of Ignition. If you've never listened to the show before, though, again, my name is Dr. Chris. Bergwald. I'm the director of adult discipleship and evangelization with the Catholic Diocese of Sioux Falls, which is basically, um, if you uh, are not in the the diocese or in South Dakota, it's basically the eastern half of the state. The Missouri River pretty cleanly bisects um, South Dakota, and so the Diocese of Sioux Falls is the eastern half of the state. Uh, been in the role with the diocese since 2002. More importantly, been in the role of husband to Jermaine since 1999. Um, she's from Ohio. I'm from Central Minnesota, but all five of our kids are born and raised here in sunny Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So there to add the alliteration. Uh, Deacon Omar, <laughs> uh, I've had you on the show a few times before, but in case somebody hasn't caught any of those, those episodes, uh, would you mind introducing yourself a little bit to, to our audience? The, the, the Cliff Notes version, because we're going to get the, the full-blown, uncut okay. version. Uh, well, I don't know about that. The longer version um, in the rest yeah. of the episode. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I live and work in the, uh, Omaha, Nebraska, for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Um, I've been here since 2008. Grew up mostly in Ohio, moved around quite a bit, but um, uh, I'm the president and co-founder of the Evangelium Institute. We're a, a nonprofit uh, founded here that I co-founded to help provide adult faith formation in the Archdiocese of Omaha. And we work with parishes and mostly Catholic school teachers, but also we do some stuff with the Catholic Newman Center here on campus at the University of Nebraska, Omaha. Uh, and we work in the Permanent Diaconate Program as well uh, for the Archdiocese. Uh, I'm also the Director for the Propagation of Faith Office for the Archdiocese. But more importantly, as you pointed out, uh, I am husband to Miriam, uh, and uh, we just had our fifth uh, baby about four months ago, a uh, little baby girl uh, who's happy and healthy in these weird COVID times. Um, and uh, yeah, we just uh, we love, uh, she's from British Columbia, but we love living here in the Midwest and in Nebraska and Omaha in particular. Excellent. Excellent. So um, you and I have known each other going back. Well, we, we, we've wow. talked about this b- before uh, over 20 years. Um, we yeah. attended the same college, a small college, yeah. Franciscan University of Stoomville, but it was, it, we had to go to Rome to meet each other. Um, <laughs> Pretty much right. That's true. So, so, but so I, so I know a little bit of your story, but I'm, I'm looking forward to, to hearing uh, more of your story. Um, not just getting to college, but, but since then as, as well. So I'm just going to turn it over to you, if you will, and, and interject a question along the way, questions along the way. But uh, Deacon Omar, what is your story? 
Well, uh, first they were the dinosaurs, and then they died. <laughs> um, uh, so I was. Uh, so were, they, were they your friends, Omar? They, they, were, not, they were not my friends. <laughs> um, I, uh, my brothers and I, we're all first generation Americans. So my, my dad was born in the Dominican Republic. Uh, my mom was born in Costa Rica, uh, and they met in Michigan, obviously. Uh, <laughs> That's right there, and, uh, right there. Okay, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Dad's yeah, from so Dominican I, Republic, mom's from Costa Rica, and obviously they meet in Michigan. I mean, obviously. where else so would... Everybody? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and they had their own securities routes there, which I can get into here in a second. But um, they met each other, and uh, they got married, and uh, they ended up having uh, five boys. One died at birth, uh, so four boys living. I'm the third of those four. And uh, um, we we moved around quite a bit because we didn't have any roots here. Uh, and so just, just like sort of basically growing up for me was um, uh, trying to figure out what it meant to be an American. <laughs> like I was, Sure. Like I didn't have the benefit of I hear I have so many friends are like oh yeah they'll listen to the Eagles or or the Animals or whatever like yeah that was my my folk songs and I remember mm. listening to that growing up I never listened to any of that stuff growing up yeah. I had to learn that whole the British invasion and all that stuff with music I had to learn all of that and I had to learn it on my own because my parents didn't know any of that and they looked askance at rock and roll generally anyway and so uh, that's just what it was but um, on top of that sort of struggle of trying to learn what it was to be an American, um, which was a happy task, but still a struggle. Uh, my parents um, were uh, in an odd situation in a couple of different ways. One, uh, my dad being from the Dominican Republic was very, very dark skinned, so black. And my mom from Costa Rica was very light skinned, so white. Uh, and so uh, they got married and, and lived in Michigan in the 1960s when this country was still really quite backward when it came to race, issues of race. And frankly, so was our church in some certain places. So right. in point of fact, the first priest they went to to go get married refused to marry them because it would have been a mixed marriage. Really? In uh, in Michigan? Yeah. In Mich- not Mississippi, in Michigan, yeah. Michigan. Wow. In Michigan, yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, yeah. Um, the 1960s. So... There was a lot of discrimination they ran into and experienced, so that was one struggle. And of course, and I have brothers who are very dark-skinned, and um, I'm a little bit lighter-skinned, but still can tan really dark. So, I mean, we we all experienced, my brothers and I all experienced discrimination and racism mm. in various ways growing up. Um, but the big thing, uh, really, was the fact that my dad was a communist atheist, and my mom was a devout Catholic. So my dad, I mean, he when he was in the Dominican Republic, and he, what Americans maybe don't always understand is that um, um, the the influence of America in Latin American politics was perhaps a little bit, um, uh, I don't know, let's say abusive. Let's say. Yes. And so there was a, a lot of distrust of America. And so when characters like Fidel Castro from Cuba come, came along, and promised uh, prosperity and independence away from the United States, a lot of young people in Latin America uh, really were drawn to that. And my dad was one of them. So when Fidel tried to take over Cuba the first time and failed, he fled to the Dominican Republic. That's where my dad met him. Not They weren't friends, but you know, at, a, at some rally or something. And, and as my dad said many times, Fidel Castro was his hero. And so... Mm. My dad was a was a was a committed atheist and committed communist, and he did have some bad experiences with the Catholic Church growing up as well. So, um, with the, the racism and, and that and other issues, so uh, you know he was just he didn't want anything to do with religion. He had no belief in God, etc. Whereas my mom, who grew up in a very sort of family uh, as a single child, raised basically by her grandmother, 
comes to the United States and uh, gets involved with the charismatic movement in the 1970s and has this huge revival. So my mom is the the kind of Catholic. They see the Latina Catholic. She's wearing the rosary around her neck uh, with like 18 medals attached right. to it yeah. and praying tongues for the right parking spot. I mean, okay. that's my mom. <laughs> This is, this is really good. And we Omar, dig it, dig it, Omar. We haven't we haven't haven't even gotten to you yet, and I'm already loving no, the story. This is, so this yeah, is all, this, yeah. Is, this is all prelude. Yeah, yeah. The interesting uh, psyche that is Omar. So um, uh, they they had a difficult marriage. There were a lot of tensions. But what all of that meant was, as a young man trying to figure out what it meant to be an American, I also had to try to figure out what it meant to be the child of these two people, and their marriage wasn't the greatest of marriages. I had to figure out what it meant to be um, Latino in a largely white community that I grew, we grew up in, in, in mostly Cleveland, Ohio. I had to figure out what it was to be a Christian uh, in a household where one half didn't care about the faith at all, and the other half said it was the most important thing. So all these sorts of things came along. Now, um, I say all of that not as sort of a pity thing or, or woe is Omar. Uh, it, it, it's more because this is the sort of the... This is what got me to realize as a young man, I really need to, to know. Mm. I need to be able to know what it means to be an American, what it means to be Latino, what it means to be in this culture, um, and, and more importantly, what it means to be a, a follower of Christ. Because if I don't know, um, then how am I any different than my dad or anybody else? Like, I, I just, I need to be able to know, and I need to know it well, backwards and forwards. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Ignition. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, talking today with Deacon Omar Gutierrez of the Archdiocese of Omaha in Nebraska, sharing his story. Um, and if you've been missing out, you got to go back and listen, because basically we've <laughs> talked mostly about his parents so far, and and both of them um, immigrants from Latin America, Dominican Republic, his dad, Dominican Republic, for his dad and Costa Rica for his mom. Um, his dad, uh, uh, a de- well, people say this, I guess, devout atheist, a communist atheist, and his mom, a devout Catholic. And then we get Deacon Omar. Be- before you go on there, uh, Deacon Omar, about trying to figure this out, I'm just curious. So you, you had this, was this like a conscious thought? Like, I've got to figure this out. Like, who am I? What does it mean to American? What does it mean to be Latino? What does it mean to be Catholic? Uh, how conscious was this in your mind? And at what, at what point? I'm guessing this is prior to college, but I, yeah, no, this is a great, it's a great question because I mean, I think every adolescent goes through that question. Who am I? Where do I belong? Uh, what kind of teen am I going to be? Right. Do I listen to Pearl Jam or Jimi Hendrix? Like what kind of kid am I? Yep. Um, yeah, but so every adolescent does that, but there was the added thing, I think, for me of uh, heritage and faith and all that stuff. So it was very much early on. So before college, I, I still recall. So I had the one of the things that my parents gave me that I will always be for, uh, grateful for, because my brother and I were actually just talking about this the other day, was the education they gave us. Mm. Uh, we had a very good education in Catholic schools, but there were a couple <clears throat> of years, we lived in South Bend, Indiana. I'll put a plug in for Trinity Schools, and that system of Trinity Schools. It was sort of a classical education, critical thinking, mm. junior high there, uh, and seventh and eighth grade, and it changed my perspective on what education could be. Uh, and so I started to take education, my own education, a little bit more seriously, and I kept in contact with those friends. Um, even to this day, I'm still in contact with some of those friends uh, from, from junior high. So that when we moved back to Cleveland for my high school years, I went to a Georgia prep school. We had a great education. But I was, um, 
I was eager to know. So in high school, I'm such a nerd, so I apologize for saying this, but in high school, I was like picking up Augustine's De Trinitate. Wow. I was picking up Dostoevsky because I knew these guys had answers, right? These guys knew things. These guys were smart people. Maybe I could learn more about what and who I am if I read these guys. Wow. Um, so that's what I started to do in this, this effort to try to figure out who I was going to be. Okay. Okay. So this is, this is in the hot, this is, that's all like you said, adolescence. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's junior high, high school, um, uh, late high school and, uh, and, and, you know, educating myself in all sorts of things, um, in music. And, uh, also I, I, by the time I was a sophomore, certainly in high school, I knew I, I had a certain kind of temperament. Uh, and I knew that uh, I, I leaned more sort of conservative in my thinking, um, and uh, by which I mean I just uh, I, I distrusted emotions. I simply wanted to know things and analyze things. So um, it was a conscious effort. Okay, is what I'm trying to get. Okay, to. okay. So, so at, then, at this point, so yeah. real quick question. So at, um, your faith at this point, you're trying to figure it out. So what about like prayer? I mean, did you did you in high school have your own prayer life, or is it still kind of your mom's, or what? What was that like? Yeah, so my prayer life was pretty lame. I mean, I I went to mass every Sunday. Uh, I I paid attention enough because my mom listened to the Tien, and so I I would hear kind of, you know, Mother Angelica. One other thing my mom did, which I'll always be grateful for, is she was always like, whenever we'd go anywhere, uh, she would play like Scott Hahn tapes or something, uh. or you know, the conversion stories. Or so I was aware that there were conversations in the church and there were arguments. That that is really one of the things that that was really very very important to me from adolescence, from seventh grade on, was that I heard intelligent people converting to the Catholic faith and giving intelligent answers for their doing so. Mm. I thought, oh, so so there, you can be a smart person and be Catholic at the same time. That's good to know. Mm. Uh, so uh, my but my faith life was was blah. I mean, I I went to the motions. I went to mass. Uh, it's it's probably unfair to say I went through the motions. I did, I did what I what I knew I, I could do and so was supposed to do. Right. Um, my mom would take us to charismatic events where there'd be, you know, praying in tongues and all that kind of stuff. That stuff never appealed to me. I always thought it was a little bit off. It was just not my style. But I understood that it was there. I understood that personal relationship with Jesus was possible. My mom always spoke in that kind of language. Um, so that was good. That was helpful. But my own personal prayer life was, you know, kind of non-existent. Okay. Okay. So that's high school. Yeah. Uh, but then, t- so, um, I, uh, <laughs> uh, I w- ha- was facing where to go to college. And I, 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 I had dreams of going to Notre Dame. I, Notre Dame was where I really wanted to go. It was back in South Bend with all my friends and that whole life and et cetera. And I had a brother who went to Notre Dame and I was going to go to Notre Dame. However, it requires an essay for the application. Uh, and my mom had an application for Franciscan University of Steubenville that did not. And being the lazy teenage boy that I was, uh, and, and sometimes still am, uh, I said, well, let me just fill out this one for Steubenville quick and send it in. And eventually I'll get to the Notre Dame one. Well, you know, Steubenville calls me up and says, I'm accepted and I've got a scholarship, et cetera. And so I remember put, putting on the phone and thinking, Okay, this is going to change the rest of my life. Um, this is clearly the, the, the hand of God, mm. um, and I have no idea what I'm doing. 
because, I, like I said, I'm not, I wasn't a particularly charismatic person. The Steubenville was very much known, you know, yep. was very much known for being very charismatic. That's not me. So I, I, I knew this is what God wanted. I just didn't know what it meant. Um, and in terms of what to study, uh, I, my parents were in the medical field. I thought maybe I would do that, but um, I was increasingly interested. I was reading Augustine for crying out loud. Right. Increasingly interested in theology, um, and so I decided to go to Steubenville with the intention of studying theology, and then uh, you know hopefully someday becoming a high school religion teacher. My religion teachers in in high school were phenomenal and wonderful men, and I looked up to them, and I thought, that's what I want to do and what mm. I want to be. And so I went to Steubenville, and uh, I was an idiot uh, for <laughs> for a couple, three years there. Um, I did. Oh, I, that, apparently, th- th- that's that's why we never met, because, you know, <laughs> you, were, you were with that crowd. <laughs> hey, that's not too far from the truth. I mean, it's true. I was in a bad crowd. Uh uh, and some of those guys, of course, are, were great then and are good now and better than me in so many different ways. But I also had a crowd of people that I shouldn't have been hanging out with, and I wasted a lot of time. And, um, uh, and I, yeah, so I was an idiot. Uh, but I was an idiot in part because I was convinced that was the best I could do. Mm. Uh, the best I could do was just this sort of floating by thing. I was the dumb one in the family, and everybody else, all my other brothers got better grades than I did. Uh, I, should, I should mention, my, my, my the brother immediately older than me and immediately younger than me. Um, they got like straight A's and everything. They had like one brother had like a 1570 in the ACT. Wow. They were really, really, really smart guys. So I was a dumb one. I thought this is the best I could do. Then I had this experience in my last year um, uh, in, in college. And just very briefly, there were a number of situations going on in my life uh, that sort of led me into this situation where I was living with this family uh, that was very generous, poor, they had nothing, poor, poor family, but were extremely generous to me and uh, took me under their wing. Beautiful, holy family. Uh, and so I got to witness what a good Catholic holy family can look like. Uh, and then this one evening, uh, and this is really where my life kind of takes a, a, a strong turn. One evening, I had a couple of run-ins with some dear friends that were not good, and that that night, I went up to my room. I was in this basement. I sorry, this attic room in this these people's house, and I slept on a mattress on the floor. And uh, I don't know how else to explain it, but to say that the Lord allowed me to experience what my life would be like without Him. Mm. Um, it was I don't know if you call it a dark night of the soul or what you would call it, but it was. Uh, it was a, a, a spiritual and even a physical pain, um, and it scared the bejeebas out of me. Mm. I just, uh, it was life-altering. Um, I knew, I knew, <clears throat> I hardly slept that night, I knew that Omar couldn't be happy without God. Mm. Uh, I, I knew I couldn't be myself even without God. Uh, and so from that moment forward, I remember, I, to this day, I remember, uh, I, I, I hardly slept that night, uh, and it was in the wee hours of the morning. I said, as soon as I'm able, uh, I'm going to go and I'm going to drive to campus. I'm going to go to the early mass at, at Steubenville. Um, Chris, you may remember, uh, cause we were roommates for a bit. I am not a morning person. Right. Right. <laughs> Never have been. So for me to go to the early mass at Steubenville, it was like 6.30 in the morning. Yeah. 
uh, dark, no music, et cetera. And this is daily, daily, to be clear to listeners. This, this is, is daily, daily mass. mass. Yeah. Thank you. And, uh, so I went and then after I went to the daily mass that morning, I went to the Portsuncula where they have perpetual adoration. Uh, and I sat there with the Lord for an hour and I did that every single day for the next three months. Mm. Um, and in that time, a, a kind of peace came over my life that I'd never experienced before. Uh, and I'll tell you, Chris, I mean, I, even suddenly I could read things for classes and understand them in a way I, I never could before. Mm. Suddenly I realized, hey, I might actually be kind of smart. I might actually have a brain. Maybe I should apply it. Mm. Um, all of that coupled with incredible professors, Dr. Henry, who's, who's no longer a student, will be in Michigan, and Dr. Aquila, who's down in Texas now, um, Dr. Martin, all of that stuff. Um, happened in that time, and and I became the totally different person with a whole new purpose in my life. Uh, and it was the result at the end of that year that I decided to go to the Ange, where you and I both met, and uh, and things took off from there. If you're just tuning in and you listen to Ignition, I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, visiting today with Digan Omar Gutierrez, um, basically about his, his journey of faith, his story. Um, so we, we've basically right there just gotten up to through his undergrad years at Franciscan University of Steubenville before he sets off across the wee little pond of the Atlantic Ocean to the Angelicum um, in the Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas run by the Dominican Order in Rome, Italy. Back to you, yeah, so, Deacon Omar. Uh, yeah, so we... Um, <laughs> <clears throat> we, we went. We were there at the same time. I took various classes. My father became very ill while I was over there. Yep. Uh, and um, so I came back and helped take care of him for a bit. Ended up my ended up finishing my theological studies at the University of Dallas. Um, so I didn't feel it was to, I could go back to Rome, so far away from my folks. And uh, my my father passed away in 2001. I was able to be there with him, and I'm happy to say. I mean, so. All my other brothers had kind of disappeared, going off in their own life. My mom was was there. We were living in uh, Toledo, Ohio at the time. And uh, I was the son who kind of dropped everything and came home and took care of my dad the last few months of his life while he was dying of cancer. And uh, about a month before he passed away, he finally, finally made amends with the Catholic Church. Wow. Uh, I don't think yeah. I, I don't remember that. Okay. Yeah, he... Um, he asked, I mean, I remember him telling me that all the stuff that had happened in the past, he knew was just the, just the behavior of bad men and not necessarily the bad, the badness of the church. And, and, uh, he, we, he had a priest come over, the priest heard his confession and he received first communion or holy communion for the first time in probably what, 40 years, wow. years something like that. Wow. Uh, longer probably. Um, at any rate, so that, that was, uh, that was a great consolation. He died. On the uh, on the feast of Mary Magdalene, actually, which is oh, a great just, consolation. Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. So um, uh, after that, then uh, I um, sort of flailed, and I wondered about vocations. I thought maybe priesthood or whatever. Uh, the Lord was very firm with me about marriage, um, and uh, I had a good dear friend up in Canada whose sister was finally not dating somebody. Um, <laughs> And so we, uh, I asked her to, to marry, um, and uh, she said yes, and we've been married ever since. Thankfully, we, we were at the time, I was working in the Diocese of La Crosse, and um, uh, it was, a, it was a, a wonderful time there uh, working for the, the Diocese of La Crosse, and eventually as a 
head of a, of a, of a Catholic school. Um, but, uh, being a principal of a Catholic school was really just not uh, healthy for me. So, yeah. um, uh, ended up here in <clears throat> Omaha and along the way, uh, I had been reading and writing and, and, um, involved in Catholic theology and, and discussions here and there. Um, but one thing that kept coming up uh, was uh, the Church's social teaching. So my undergrad thesis was on liberation theology. My graduate thesis uh, for my master's degree was on religious liberty um, and Colonel Newman's uh, uh, development of doctrine. And so these questions of, of uh, what it means to be a Catholic in the world um, kept coming up in my sort of theological interest. And I, I, I think I know the reason for that is because um, you know, my dad was somebody who wanted to change the world in which he lived in. He wanted to know that justice could actually exist in Latin mm. America and in the world, and that's what attracted him to Fidel Castro and the communism mm. and socialism. And um, I think, in part, I'm interested in the same thing, and the Catholic Church has an answer to socialism, right? and that's Catholic social teaching. And so uh, I came to realize that that was what I was interested to begin with and what I wanted to do, and... Um, so uh, since, gosh, about since 2008 or so, that's what I've been doing almost exclusively, writing, teaching, forming um, people in Catholic social teaching and uh, and providing a new perspective for that for Catholics here in the U.S. and, and beyond. Um, wow. That's a... <laughs> That's a, I, I knew a good chunk of that, but not all of that. This is a beautiful story, Omar. So we, we've just got a, about a minute and a half or so left. Um, so looking back, and as, as is often the case, and it's the same thing for me, I think, um, we spend a lot of time telling our stories, and it sort of leads up into young adulthood, and then because, just a, in this case, time, um, we race through the rest. But if you could look back sort of at, uh, going back to that, that, that moment um, near the end of your time as an undergrad, up to today, um, how would you just, in the last minute we have, describe your relationship with God, sort of flow? from that that powerful encounter that you had um, in in your room during college what's the relationship been like since then yeah so I mean I think the the fundamental truth that I learned about not being able to be happy without him the, the necessary corollary of that was well then he's not going to let me go I mean he let me under feel what it was like when he not to have him so he's not going to let me go so what what it did was it, it allowed me to trust that whatever thing he threw at me, whatever it is he provided me, was going to be exactly what I needed. Um, and so the decisions to leave Rome, the decision to go to the University of Dallas, the decision to go to La Crosse, the decision to marry my wife, the decision to come here to Omar, the decision to become a deacon and be ordained, all those decisions were presented to me by the Lord, and, and I had the uh, foundation to be able to say yes to him. And and so the the relationship is this is an intimate one where we're, we just trust each other. Oh. That's that's beautiful. So, uh, Deacon Omar, thanks for being with us today. My pleasure, Chris. So, listening to that, and 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 maybe you're going to want to go back and listen again. The to me, the power of listening to somebody 
share their story as Deacon Omar has with us today is there's always something in there for me. There's always something in there for you. There's always something in there for us. So as, as you listened to his story, thinking about, back about it, um, ask the Lord, Lord, what, what is it do you have in Deacon Omar's story that's there for me? And know that he will answer that question. And that will wrap up this episode of Ignition. Again, you can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org, with any thoughts, questions, or ideas for future episodes. And until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.